Welcome to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This week, we press pause on our normal program schedule to bring you select sermons from the recent Bible conference in Tucson, Arizona, pastored by Harold Warner. We'll return to our normal schedule next week. Until then, may these be an encouragement to you. God bless. All right. Well, it is a great honor uh, to be here. And uh, wow, I forgot what I preached. Amen. And so that's a, a tremendous honor. What a tremendous atmosphere. Uh, the preaching has been outstanding. Amen. And uh, just a real blessing. It's hard to believe that it was just in a couple of months. It'll be 40 years that uh, uh, Yolanda and I got sent out from here. So, uh, uh, Adam, we got to slip right underneath the bar this morning. And, uh, but I tell you what a tremendous, tremendous privilege it is to be here. And, you know, to see Mike up here doing this, because we, we did go way back uh, to that. And uh, it really just brings home the reality uh, that uh, many, many years ago, we were uh, sitting on the floor in the little building on Veterans Boulevard uh, and uh, dreaming that this would happen. And I, I want, we're hearing a lot of stuff about 50 years. I've only been around for 44 of them. But I, I want to tell you something. Uh, one thing you ought to take away from this is let's not change who we are. Because 50 years of doing it a certain way has borne fruit. And so it's not time to come up with a new idea. And so anyway, uh, we're going to go to Jonah chapter 3. I've had a privilege of having great instructors in my life. I think of Pastor Warner and, Th- and Pastor Mitchell. But there are four other uh, people that have really, really uh, educated me and affect the way I think. And their names are Ernie, Ray, Herb, and Fred. And uh, being the youngest... My mother told me many years ago, she said that, Richard, you learn by osmosis, and it comes down. And, uh, and so uh, uh, even to this day, I, I think a lot of the way I think about things uh, has to do with my older brothers, except when it comes to football. And uh, there, uh, I broke the curse. But anyway, um, it's a great blessing. I say that because I had the privilege of preaching in the South London Bible Conference in early April. And uh, uh, Fred had uh, uh, the theme of the, of the conference, which was a genius, was the, uh, the theme was called Give Me 100 Preachers. And it was a quotation, of course, from John Wesley, uh, who is obviously right there and labored right in the very parts where uh, they were doing the Bible conference. And he gave this quote. It says, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin. And desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so that was the theme of their conference. And what struck me was I was saved on April 13, 1979. It was a Friday night. It was Good Friday, actually. And we ended up in that concert. I didn't want to go. Fred wanted to go, and he wanted, we brought along a friend of ours from Tucson High. And uh, that night, as soon as I uh, sat there in that concert, um, I knew God was dealing with me, and I raised my hand. I went forward, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Uh, Tom Trubisky came down and prayed the sinner's prayer with me. And when I was done uh, praying and Tom had showed me one verse of scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. 
And I mean, I want to serve God. I have a lot of fears. I'm not sure if I can do this. Uh, I had this, I, I didn't want to pray a prayer and just disappear. And so I said to Tom, I said, is there any way I could get a Bible? And Tom Trubisky had a little Christian Workers New Testament. And he said, here, and he gave me his Bible. I opened it up, and there written by Tom on the first part of that uh, Bible were the words, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I will shake the world. And when I saw that flyer, I was immediately brought back to that night and that moment because that particular quote has always meant a lot to me for obvious reasons. So we're there in the conference, and there's a young brother in the church there named Rufus who made their conference video. Now, you got to understand, this is early April. So as I'm watching this video, you know, I get to preach in a lot of conferences, a lot of videos. But uh, I want to tell you, God really got a hold of me in this video, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Our church has for many, many years been involved in Fiesta. Fiesta in San Antonio is the Mardi Gras for Mexicans. And uh, it is a huge event. It goes on for nine days, and it always ends on a Saturday night with a nighttime parade, uh, and about 500,000 people pile into the city, and we have been going out and street preaching there since 1990. We do a mega outreach. We have mega skits, giant puppets, wrestling skits. Uh, it's, it's a very intense. Over the years, we brought in Ernie Toppin and, and many other uh, uh, excellent music ministries. Uh, and, and it's a big deal. Well, 2020, of course, COVID shut it down. 2021, they didn't do it. Last year, they did some sort of half-hearted effort. But they finally announced uh, in 2023, we're going to come back with a full-on fiesta. And I got to be honest with you, I wasn't sure if we were going to go back there. The city of San Antonio has radically changed since COVID. It's become extremely left, extremely woke, and extremely prideful. And many of the events that I was hearing about that were going to happen, were going to have trans, uh, you know, drag queens, and they were going to have all kinds of different things. And I I didn't want to go into that kind of setting, trying to decide what to do. But as I sat there watching that video, Fiesta is a couple of weeks away, and uh, they, they did it on the, the preachers that have been risen up in the South London ministry, and, and uh, it showed these men when they gave their testimony about what they were like before they were saved and how they got saved. Uh, but one thing that they did is they t- these men each gave a little testimony of how they began to understand they were called of God. What, what happened, and you know what, every single one of them, at least to my recollection, said it happened uh, when I went out and I street preached. When I got outside the four walls of the church, um, whether it was at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park or some other part of London, it was when they stood out and began to declare it was there that God got a hold of their heart. Um, And as I saw that video, uh, God reminded me, God has helped us. We've been able to plant uh, a lot of men and many of these men are very fruitful And I began to realize that the reason why many of these men are doing what they're doing goes back to Fiesta. That this is so much a part of our church and what we're about and our identity. And so I went home and I said, okay, we're going to go to Fiesta and I'm going to put together a sermon, which this sermon, which is this sermon. And so I sent out a mass uh, uh, email or text. I don't even remember. 
And I said to them, uh, I said, you know what, listen, I'm going to preach a sermon about Fiesta, and I want you to send me back a paragraph of just your own thoughts, because I knew that every one of these men would have their own story. That every one of these men, as they begin to look back on the call of God and what God has made them, it had to do with stepping to an arena, half a million people, hostile, uh, lots of things going on. But somehow that made them and helped them develop as a men of God. I put that out there. Roman, who just spoke just a minute ago, sent out, uh, he sent me back this and said, it always blew me away that there could be so much light in the middle of so much darkness Regardless, Fiesta was nerve-wracking for me because of all my enemies. And I remember the first time Roman came to Fiesta, and we were at that time right on the market, right into the right looking into this uh, sea of people and uh, Dehano music playing and uh, 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 turkey legs for twenty dollars. Uh, and uh, and he said to me the first time, he said, "There's some people here that want to kill me." I wanted to kind of step a little bit away from him. So really. But it was that kind of an atmosphere. Tony Gutierrez, this is not his cousin, at least I don't think he is. He said, I remember being part of a different dramas, including the wrestling skit, the arguing couple skit. My wife and I were very good at that one. (laughs) The gratitude of my salvation said, and as I now was on the other side of the fence, saved and born again, delivered from alcohol, drugs, and violence, amongst other things. I want to preach tonight out of Jonah chapter 3, a sermon I've entitled, Preach, Preacher. And I want to preach on the call of God and the will of God. And I want to tell you tonight, I don't care who you are, male or female, God wants you to open your mouth and preach. And I hope by the grace of God, by the time we're done, you'll understand that there are a whole lot of personal issues in your life uh, that will go away if you will open your mouth and begin to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. Who can tell? If God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish, verse 10, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Father, I pray for anointing tonight. God, I pray stir up the gift of God in your people. Uh, God, manifest your word through preaching in Jesus name. Amen. First of all, tonight, the world needs a preacher. 
Most of us here are familiar with the book of Jonah. God is about to judge Nineveh, the prosperous capital of Assyria. Nineveh, by the way, would be modern-day Mosul, Iraq, right in that area. And what has happened is that sin has finally caught up with them. And I want to tell you tonight, if you understand the Bible, you understand that there comes a point where judgment is going to fall on sin. It is going to take place. Um, Remember the words of Jude the prophet when he said, don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. Jude was a New Testament uh, preacher and he says uh, that God does judge sin and whenever uh, you consider uh, the cities of the Old Testament that were judged such as Nineveh you better step back and remember God is not changed his mind he's still going to judge sin he is still going to deal with sin Um, we've all heard the famous quote if God doesn't judge San Francisco he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah God still judges sin, but the book of Jonah is all about that God doesn't want to judge Nineveh. He doesn't want to judge them. He wants them to be saved. He wants them to be healed. He wants them to be restored. Uh, But if that's going to happen, uh, somebody is going to have to go and preach to them. That is the heart of the gospel tonight. God does not want to judge sin. He doesn't want to judge. I don't care tonight uh, what sinner that you think of, what high profile uh, celebrity that is shaking their fist at God. Uh, I want to tell you, aren't you glad that we have a God in heaven that is merciful and slow to anger tonight? uh, And he doesn't want to judge. uh, But his answer is a preacher. His answer is somebody has to go. Our text says in verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. All it's going to take, church, is a preacher, and preachers matter tonight. That tells you, you and I matter more than we know. That is the clear meaning of our passage. Uh, That is the reason of the book of Jonah. It is a simple drama tonight. Uh, Men deserve judgment. God wants to save them, uh, but it requires a preacher. Somebody has to go uh, and minister. Nineveh is on the clock. That's basically what's happening here. Nineveh is on the clock. They have been shaking their fist at God for who knows how long, uh, but it has finally come to its end. Uh, The clock is beginning to move. Uh, Doomsday is coming, uh, and they are now terminal. Um, And so the question is, uh, will somebody go? Uh, Because the only game changer is going to be the the preacher. And I haven't just described Nineveh. I have described mankind tonight. You and I are on the clock. This world is on the clock. I appreciate this evening the comments that have been made uh, by preachers uh, about uh, how we can get so caught up in the politics uh, of the world that you and I now live in. I am a citizen. I am an American. I'm a patriot. I believe in voting. I, have no, I, have, I don't apologize for having opinions, uh, but I want to tell you, beloved, the truth is uh, this world is on the clock, uh, and ever since I've got saved, I have known this world's never going to get better it's always going to get worse Uh, somebody better preach the gospel 
Somebody has to minister uh, the word of God. Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world uh, and preach the gospel. Jesus wants the world to be saved from judgment. But once again, uh, here's the requirement uh, of a preacher. We all know God so loved the world, uh, but the one who said God so loved the world also said, go you into all the world and preach. Because it is the only answer. It is not one of the answers. It is not uh, part uh, of a list of answers. Uh, It is the answer tonight. Uh, The world only will be saved from judgment uh, if somebody preaches the gospel. Romans 10, 14. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without uh, a preacher? Amen. Let's remember something. The world hates preaching. You and I know the world can't stand preaching. The word preach simply means to herald. The preacher's job or the herald's job was simply uh, to go into the palace uh, and uh, they would say that the king has a decree. The king is issuing an edict. And then his job was to take that uh, and then he would stand on a street corner uh, and all the king's subjects as they were passing by uh, would see him and they would gather around uh, and then he would say, hear ye, hear ye, thus saith the king. Uh, And the herald had a simple job uh, and that was to simply tell the people what the king was saying. His job was not to apologize for it. Can you say amen? His job wasn't to uh, dilute it. His job wasn't to twist it or to spin it. Just get up and tell us what the king is saying. What does that say? How many know good preaching is when somebody gets up and just preaches the word of God? Amen. Just simply get up there and say it. Declare what it says. Um, That is responsibility of the king. It's interesting. When people think about uh, preaching, amen, there's a used bottle of water here. If somebody can get me a, a, un, a, open, a, 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 a one that hasn't been drunk from, I'd appreciate it. I trust these men, but who knows, amen. <laughs> you know, when you use the word preaching nowadays, you know, it's always associated by the world with hellfire and brimstone. I remember many years ago, we were downtown. We also do a big downtown Christmas outreach. And we were out by the river walk one year and we were uh, ministering uh, the word of God and preaching. And I want to tell you, I was there and the message we were preaching is Jesus can save your soul. He can change your life. He changed my life. Uh, you don't have to go to hell. And it was, I, I remember the testimonies were powerful uh, and they were filled with gospel hope, uh, but the newspaper that Monday uh, was about our church at the Riverwalk, uh, and they called us hellfire and brimstone preachers. You mentioned preachers, and they want to talk to you about Jimmy Swaggart, or they want to talk to you about Jim Baker, or any number of hypocrites. They sometimes use the word wild-eyed preacher, that just kind of, we're just strutting around, ranting and raving uh, and spitting. Uh, and I understand that there are many bad examples. I get that. Uh, but I want to tell you, uh, for every bad example and every uh, a wild-eyed preacher, uh, I'm privileged to know thousands of men of God that are preaching the word of God faithfully. The world needs a preacher. This is the answer. His job is simply to speak for the king. Our text is about a preacher. He's not the best guy in the world. Jonah's not the best guy in the world. 
All of us are familiar with Jonah's issues and problems, but the man has a message that can save a nation. This man has the ability, has God-given ability to go somewhere and change everything for everybody. This is, these, are, these are not just animated creatures. They're real people. They're real parents, real kids, families that are in that city uh, that can be totally changed if a man will go there with all of his issues, all of his problems. If he would just simply get up and go, God is saying things can change, but he just needs somebody to go. Let me remind you that God has chosen preaching. God has chosen preaching. Matthew 3, 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Jay and saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching. Acts chapter 4 or chapter 5 verse 42 and daily in the temple in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus, the apostles, it is about preaching. Mortimer Adler said Christianity is the only world religion that is evangelical in the sense of sharing good news with others. Islam converts by force. Buddhism without the benefit of a theology. Hinduism doesn't even try. Um, and finally, the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. A church can do a lot of things. And I thank God for that. I thank for God for all the ministries that we have uh, in our churches. I thank God for song services and children's ministries and all the things we do. Uh, but I want to tell you, uh, the preeminent thing that we're supposed to do is preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You came here for a lot of things, but you came here to hear from God. You came here because this building is filled with preachers. My prayers, oh God, let there always be a spirit of prophecy uh, upon the Tucson church and all of its daughter churches, uh, generations down the line. Uh, that's why it's so refreshing to see these young men uh, get up here and stand up uh, and preach uh, their hearts out with power and anointing. Because our future tonight uh, is if we still are able to raise the preachers uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People will only get saved if somebody preaches. If somebody gets up and preaches. Let's talk about the preacher's problem. Because the equation is as simple as we think. Jesus said, the fields are white to harvest. The laborers are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. So the equation we tend to think is there's a need there's not enough preachers for the need. Let's pray for more preachers. But it's not as simple as that because the preacher has a problem. See, tonight, this building, I was sitting in our uh, uh, meeting this afternoon with Pastor Warner, and I'm, uh, because of this sermon, I'm looking around, and my estimate, there might have been 150 uh, pastors that were here. I may be off a little high, a little low, but tonight, there's probably at least 10, 12 times that in this building right now. I'm not just here preaching to pastors. I'm saying to you tonight that there are preachers that are not preaching. 
That the equation isn't, well, there's a need, pray. We don't know. That's, 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 the, that's the question tonight. God wanted to move, but he needed a preacher because the preacher is God's tool of intervention to save those that are heading towards destruction. But the question tonight is what happens to pre- when the preacher doesn't want to preach? What do we do when there's a city that's terminal and the clock is moving, doomsday is coming, and God is saying, I need a preacher, but the preacher doesn't want to preach? When the preacher doesn't want to go? You know, tonight, let me qualify what I'm about to say because, you know, we're not careful. You'll say, oh, he's preaching to men that are called to preach. Everybody here has their own personal Nineveh. Everybody here is connected to somebody or someone that's terminal. You don't know they're terminal, but God knows they're terminal. And he is trying to say, I need you to be the one to say, I need you to say something. But the problem is the preacher doesn't want to preach. The preacher doesn't want to respond to the word of God. See, the book of Jonah is the story of a preacher who almost didn't preach. Our scripture says in verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Uh, And the takeaway words in that verse are the words second time. Because our assumption is that a man of God does not have to be told a second time. We think, man, if he's a man of God and the brother has a prayer life, And he has spiritual discipline and his own confession. I'm called to preach. Then why does God have to come a second time? Why does God have to push you, cajole you? You know, we all know the first time, a little thought about the call of God. And I'm saying this is one of the young pastors here. Let me tell you something. When Jonah found out that God wanted him to go to Nineveh, and when he didn't want to go to Nineveh, the Bible says he automatically began to move in the opposite direction. Is it possible tonight that a man, when he knows God's called him to preach, and he says, I don't want to preach, he doesn't say, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. By, by saying no to the call of God, he starts moving in the opposite direction. And then, of course, if you read the beginning of the first chapter, you find that not only did he go in the opposite direction, but he began a descent. He went down to catch the bit. When he got on the ship, he went down to the hole. He went down into the water. Does a preacher need to be told a second time? You know, we launch a lot of men in our fellowship, and from time to time, men who are launched come back to their mother church. That's fine. That's great. Thank God we have a place for people to come back and get helped and refresh. But I wonder how many times those men sit in Bible conferences and God is saying, I want you to go a second time. Because the story here is that God wants to save a city, but the preacher doesn't want to preach. He doesn't want to minister to the call of God. I wonder how many would-be preachers do we have in our building tonight? How many would-be preachers that have heard his voice? And you know there's a Nineveh out there. You know we're terminal. For God to reach the city, he must first reach the preacher. See, the most of the book of Jonah is God's effort to get Jonah to preach. 
You know, we've all heard Pastor Mitchell's famous quote, God won't make you do the will of God, but he will make you wish you had. We know that uh, Jonah is swallowed by the whale and he goes down. But here's the reality, church. It's not just Jonah's story. Moses is at a burning bush and he doesn't say, yes, Lord, here am I. Moses says, I can't. Elijah gets to a point where he is in a cave and an angel has to come and say, what are you doing here? Jeremiah, as a young man, says, I'm too young. Peter on a rooftop says, not so, Lord. This is not the story of only Jonah. This is the condition of men that we hesitate, that we can know God. It's crazy that we have men of God, powerful. Every one of those men I mentioned are powerful men. And yet, the preacher doesn't want to preach. And he hesitates. And he questions, and he, Moses, I'm too old, or Jeremiah, I'm too young. And God's trying to get men to preach the gospel. Jeff Jaso said in those opportunities to preach the fiesta, God always made himself real to others and confirmed that he could, that he could use even me. Oh, that, I'm sorry, that was Roland Perez. He said, Jeff said, God showed me that I was no longer that man of my past fiestas. That he had plans for me and that if he could set me free, then he could also set others free that were bound in their sin. The only thing that they needed would be for someone to move out of their comfort zone and bring the truth of the gospel to them. Chris Rugnow, I said, send one paragraph. Chris sent three. But uh, he said this. He said, I felt intimidated to preach Fiesta thinking about who I would see there, my classmates, my coworkers, etc., But when I had an opportunity to preach, all I could think about is how bad those people needed Jesus. See, God had to deal with something in Jonah. I know when you preach a Bible conference that every pastor here has preached sermons. Some of you have taught whole Sunday schools on it. Let's distill it down to this. The brother had an attitude. He had an attitude. Something in him kind of was mad at God. Mad about maybe how his ministry had gone. Didn't really feel like God was sensitive to his particular situation. Held grudges that were not just his grudges, but the grudges of his ancestors. And he's got this attitude. And so somehow this man who knows God is speaking and knows that God means business about Nineveh. Because of an attitude, he somehow feels it's acceptable to say no. That it's acceptable to kind of blow it off and say, I I don't really need to do that. But the problem is, while you're sitting there in your attitude, the clock is ticking on Nineveh. Jonah didn't like people and Jonah didn't trust God. And so here's this great drama and God, Nineveh, but the preacher doesn't want to preach. I meet men all the time who felt called to God. I speak to men, I run into them, and a lot of times it's amazing how many men will say to you, you know, when I was younger, I once thought I was called to be a preacher. I once thought, and then they'll tell you that what it was career, sometimes men aren't preaching because of ministry failure or personal failure. Number one reason that my own little anecdotal survey is men that say, I married the wrong woman. 
I married a woman that said, I'm not going to preach. I don't want to go with you to pastor. I met men that said, you know, that they were in college. It's not in our fellowship. These are just men that I was in college, you know, and, and uh, my girlfriend, and I told her I felt called to preach a lot of times to be a missionary. And she said, I will marry you, but I will not. And they just, you know, he loved the girl, and he married her. And now he's 30, 40 years down the road, and he's talking about how I once felt that. I once felt called to preach. You know, I want to say something right here. You know, Pastor Mitchell's story is he got powerfully saved. His brother George had reached out to him and Sister Nelda after their, their little baby died a crib death and brought them to the first Phoenix church, first Forest Court church there in Phoenix, Arizona. And Pastor Mitchell got radically saved, radically filled with the Holy Ghost. He is a young man in his 20s and he begins to have his children and God begins to call Pastor Mitchell to preach. And he is in a church where there is no mechanism to raise up a preacher. There's no pathway to ministry in the church. As most of you know, his pastor was a woman. The assistant pastor was a woman. Back then, you got to, it wasn't too many years removed from Amy Semple McPherson. And she had risen up a lot of little Amy's. And so these women were in positions of power. And I don't know if you know that Pastor Mitchell is what we call a man's man. And, uh, but, and so here he is, this, this man, this just would-be preacher, but he's in a church where there's no pathway to ministry. And so he goes to them and he begins to tell them, God's calling me to preach. And they said, you have to go to Bible college. And so he took his family now he has, I think, three children, maybe four, and he takes his family, and they moved to Los Angeles, California, so Pastor Mitchell could work a full-time job and go to school full-time and raise a family, and he was there for years because he said, I'll do what I have to do to preach the gospel. There was no pathway. There was no mechanism, and if you hear his story, he talks about having to tolerate Life Bible College, um, he came out of Bible College with a degree and a conviction, I will never send anybody back to Life Bible College. <laughs> but think about that, what he did when he did that. Years later, when God began to pour out his spirit to impress God and revival, uh, it's amazing that Pastor Mitchell, the man who was in a church where there was no pathway to preaching, decided I'm going to build a church uh, where if a man is called of God, uh, there's a pathway uh, to the ministry. And so many of us, you and I, take advantage of that. We have no idea that most churches, there is no mechanism, there is no pathway to the ministry. I so thank God that I got saved in this church, uh, amen, uh, because uh, it was always, go ye in all the world, you can preach the gospel. Um, I remember uh, I was the first man to get sent out when I got saved with pa Paul, Pastor Paul Stevens. So he got saved about, sent out three months after I got saved. Uh, a few months later, Paul Campbell got sent out. Uh, I watched men get sent out. Uh, Mike Webb had a real impression on me because I knew Mike before he was married. Uh, I knew him as he's a little bit closer in age to me. And when Mike and Mary got sent, that, that meant a lot to Yolanda and I, because uh, I realized uh, if God had called me, uh, I had a pastor and a local church that said, we will back you up. We believe in you. Uh, and I found a clear path to ministry. 
What a gift from God. You say, why are you saying that? Because I have to ask you a question. Does your church provide a path for men to preach? If God is calling a man in your church to preach, does he see the possibility or the doors open? Does he, does he see that? Because if you're not careful, what will happen is we'll say, yeah, we'll come here and wave the banner. But there are men that can sit in a church for years, called of God. But there's no pathway. I want to say to you, men that are called to God are not going to be happy just to send you overseas for a couple of weeks. That same drive that made Pastor Mitchell get his family and move to Los Angeles and do it, that stirring to preach. It's nothing that you and I can toy with. So how do you do this? How do you create a pathway to preach? Number one, you have to disciple men. You have to work with men. I do not buy into, well, people are different today and things are different and you have to adjust. You have to adjust nothing. Why would we adjust? Well, you know, we don't want, we don't want to, you better do that. You know, I, I, I got sent out 40 years ago, and I want to tell you that Pastor Warner used to love me. <laughs> like Josh Scribner said. It was intense. You know, we just finished our boot camp last week. And again, we had nearly 400 teenagers that are there. This generation that you can't talk to that way anymore. I want to tell you, on the last night, right about 168 hours ago, I'm on the platform, and the very end of the boot camp, uh, we do a number of things, but then we introduce the drill instructors, and I mean to tell you, these kids are screaming. I mean, raw emotion uh, as uh, these drill instructors, I announce them, and they come marching, and they stand, and and it is raw emotion. They're they're cheering. That is the most thrilling thing to them. And don't tell me, well, you know, you just can't be that way anymore. You can't talk to them. You ought to come to our boot camp. I'm going to tell you, those kids want challenge. They want direction. uh, They want somebody that loves them enough to tell them the truth. We're going to win the world, not by looking like the world, but somebody standing on the world's street corners and preaching the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ to them. Oh, well, you've got to do it different, you know, and I know that used to be an issue, but it's not an issue. It's still an issue. There has to be discipleship and men must see hope that I can find my calling in my local church. You know, we have smaller churches that have San Antonio, but they've developed some great men. And because of that, they have found an expression of ministry. The, one of the things that a leadership church does is they are sensitive that there are men that are in smaller churches that may not have the resources, but that we're willing to partner with. Why? Because God needs preachers. Because God is looking for preachers. But if you do not give them hope, That a man can't sit in a church and say, from this place, I can find the will of God. You're going to start having problems. Because the plot is, can God find a preacher? Because Nineveh, the clock is ticking. And somebody has to go. Let me close and talk about the preacher's perspective and we'll finish up. Preaching brings clarity. 
Preaching brings clarity. Listen to me just for a couple more minutes, maybe a few more than that. I remember when Yolanda and I moved to San Antonio. We moved there in 1988. And in April 1989, our son Marcus was born. And up until that point, I never even heard of Fiesta. And I'll never forget, Yolanda and I were there, and Marcus is a newborn, and the doctor came to speak to us. And he said to us, are you guys going to Fiesta? And we didn't know what he was talking about. He goes, are you going to go to Niosa? And and we're looking at Niosa, what is that? And it was the first time that I ever heard about Fiesta. In 1990, a year later, their Fiesta, and uh, a a handful of us, I think there might have been four of us in 1990, we went down to Fiesta. I wanted to see what it was like. Um, I'm expecting the 4th Avenue Street Fair. Uh, but I, and I went there, and I was just overwhelmed by many, many thousands of people. And we stood there, three or four of us, and we street preached. Uh, but I walked away saying, you know what? Next year, we're going to be ready. And I want to tell you, it was 1991 was the first time that we set up, uh, and we began to preach. And I want to tell you, uh, I just wanted uh, to preach the gospel. I just wanted to do that. I was in 1991. We had planted a couple of churches by that time. And I want to tell you, I wasn't thinking about discipleship, and men are going to remember this. They're going to impart that. I, I, was, I, I, don't, I don't think like that. I just wanted to do something for God. And who would have ever thought, all these years later, the impact uh, that was made. Preaching brings clarity. You say, well, how do I get clear? How does the will of God? Let me stress tonight, preaching brings clarity. Remember the old saying, the preacher in Sodom, they said, uh, why you still go there? You know there's no hope. And he said, I started preaching to change them. Now I preach so they don't change me. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8, Stephen has been killed in chapter 7 for preaching. The early church has stood up and took notice. This is the first time somebody had died uh, in persecution since the Lord Jesus had been crucified. Uh, and uh, the Bible says uh, that, uh, that uh, their responses uh, is that they went everywhere preaching. I'm telling you, they were dealing with grief and heartbreak. They had lost uh, a spiritual brother. They were processing something, and that is that this really may cost us our life. Um, but they decided we're going to respond to the death of our brother by going and preaching. Why? Because preaching brings clarity. Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul goes to Athens, uh, and the Bible says that he was overwhelmed uh, by the gross idolatry of Athens. He, he saw it, but what Paul saw with all of that idolatry and all the superstition is one translation that is used there. You know what Paul did? The Bible says he went to Mars Hill and he began preaching. I want to tell you something. You don't need anti-anxiety medication tonight. You don't need to be on antidepressants. You know what you need to do? You need to open your mouth and begin to declare because when you declare, clarity comes to your mind. Last night, Pastor Marty powerfully preached. I felt like we were in a tent meeting last night uh, as he's preaching. Uh, I want to tell you tonight uh, that good many Christians this evening uh, deal with mental battles, depression, anxiety, uh, uh, self-absorbed uh, uh, problems uh, in your life uh, that would be instantly gone uh, if you made it a commitment that I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. You would be set free in your mind. Something would happen uh, because preaching brings clarity. 
Rita Rodella, he's here tonight. He said, overall, it was an experience where I let everyone know that I was not the man I was used to being. Jason Garcia is in uh, Bluefields, Nicaragua, on the Mosquito Coast tonight, building a church. And he said, this is, it was like there was a line drawn in the sand. But then I heard the men preaching, and I thought to myself, man, there's going to be a rumble between the church and these people. When I finally got a chance to preach, I remember thinking I never got drunk or did drugs, uh, but God dealt with me. There were a lot of young people who need the truth, so I let it rip. But after it was like a buzz, I felt on fire. Gabriel Aguilar, he's here tonight. He said, my first fiesta was right there where the outlet flow was of, uh, of the market square. I remember going for the first time as a believer and how great the intimidation was. I stood in the back with my sunglasses on, almost embarrassed to be associated with the church. He said, I cowered out that year. I don't believe coward is a word, but if you know Gabriel, he invents words every once in a while. He said, I didn't witness or do much of anything. I just hid in the back of the crowd. And I remember I promised myself next year I would do better. I did. The first time I preached with the mic at Fiesta, I was still questioning my call to preach or to be a preacher. But at that moment, it all became clear. Just being able to stand bold as the disciples in Acts set me free. And I knew I could fulfill my calling. Preach, preacher. Instead of being all worked up and anxious and your neuroses and, uh, you know, preach. Well, I don't know if I'm called. Preach. You want to have an impact if you're a young man and you say, I want to, I want, you know, pastor, I'm trying to figure it out. Find a street corner and preach. Because preaching brings clarity. You're not going to get that anywhere else. You're only going to get that when you step out and you open your mouth. Verse 9, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God saw their works, and God said, I'll move all because somebody opened their mouth and spoke eight words, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be destroyed. All God needed was a preacher. A couple things and I'll finish. We have one of our pastor's wives, great blessing, is Barbara Rugnow. Her husband, Bobby, many of you know Bobby. They were in South Africa when she got a phone call from her brother that her father was dying. She's way off in South Africa. Her, fa her father's in the hospital. He's going to die. There's no phone in the room. And Barbara is 10,000 miles away. She's, what is she going to do? How is she going to deal with this? You can only imagine. She knows her father's not saved. She knows that, you know, he's going to slip into eternity. She had witnessed him, oh, but, but he has never been open to the gospel. And now her unsaved brother calls her on the phone and Barbara's thinking. And so she says, all right, you know what you're going to do? You're going to pray a sinner's prayer with dad. And he's like, but Barb, I'm not even a Christian. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. 
And so she said, get a piece of paper and a pen. And so Barbara had him write down a sinner's prayer. And she says, and by the way, this is no Catholic prayer. You got to make sure that he means it with all his heart. Do you hear me? He will never. Barbara was able to pray with her mother before she died. She will never see mom again. He will never go to heaven unless you do this. And her unsaved brother went to the hospital, unfolded the paper. And with all sincerity, dad, you got to mean this. Let him in a sinner's prayer and he went to heaven now uh, he was saved all he needed was a preacher and here we are I'm perfect and Lord you know my father thou knowest my flaw with I don't know if I can do this and I tried and it didn't go well and we nobody came uh, listen somebody's got to walk in the room and say God wants to save you if nobody does it, what is going to become of the world? Margaret Sangster told this story about her father, W.E. Sangster. A lot of you guys know W.E. Sangster. Had a powerful ministry. Back in the 1950s, uh, W.E. Sangster began to notice that he wasn't feeling right. His throat began to feel funny, and he began to notice that when he walked, his leg would drag Went to the doctor and he found out they had an incurable disease that was going to cause progressive muscular atrophy. They said, your muscles are going to waste away. Your voice is going to fail. And they told them there's going to come a day where you'll no longer be able to swallow. So here's this preacher. His response is he threw himself into the work of his ministry, knowing that he was going to have to deal with a lot of limitations. So he figured out he could still write. And that he could spend more time praying. He said these words, let me stay in the struggle, Lord. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but give me just a regiment to lead. He wrote articles. He wrote books. He organized prayer meetings throughout England. He said, I'm only in the kindergarten of suffering when people started feeling sorry for him. And here's this old preacher who was wasting away. And there came a point where he could no longer use his legs, and this preacher's voice went silent. He could no longer preach. On Easter Sunday morning, just a few weeks before he died, he wrote a letter to his daughter. And I want you to see what he said. You can put that up. He said, it is a terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice to shout, he is risen. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. Preach, preacher. It's not about us. The book of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's about Nineveh. It's not about you. Not about your issues, your problems, your emotions, your struggles, your past. It's about Nineveh. Let's bow our heads. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.